The context of the message is that God had delivered his people. They'd been praying for a deliverer and to be redeemed out of slavery. And he showed his mighty power by the various plagues he inflicted upon the Egyptians and yet kept his people safe. And however, after that, that they crossed the Red Sea on dry land, and yet the Egyptians were swallowed up. He provided for them with water and with bread and with quail and all types of provisions. He also defended them and defeated their enemies. And yet, as they came to this place where God had promised Moses, when Moses was unsure of the task before him, that God said, you're going to know that I'm going to do this because you're going to come back to this mountain and worship me. And then God had also asked his people, saying, if you will hear my voice and obey it, then you will be a special possession to me, that you will be a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And their answer was, yes, we'll do that. And so God says, I want to meet with you on my holy mountain. And he said, I want you to concentrate, consecrate yourselves to cleanse yourselves and be prepared to meet me as Moses had heard my voice, so will you. So that is the context where we are, that the people have been in essence invited to meet with God. This God who has delivered them, this God who has led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, this one who has been in their constant presence. And so in verse 9 of chapter 19 of Exodus, it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words to the people, um, to the Lord. And the Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day on for on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the, all the people. So God says, I want you to be prepared because our God is a holy God. But this holy God wants us to meet him on certain terms. Now, most of us, when we think of that, we think about evil. Then we think about intentional sins. Then we think about unintentional sins. Then we think about sins that we just kind of fall into. Rarely do we think about being unclean, especially since we're not Jewish. But there is a sense of being clean in the presence of God. So God is telling them, I want you to wash yourselves. I want you to be clean. It's not just sin. It's a whole aspect of who you are, that you are holy. So I want you to take three days to get prepared. Then it says, you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So here's the message. You're not supposed to come too soon. Exactly when the Lord calls, and that calling will be when the shofar sounds. 
For those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament and with the second coming, the sounding of the shofar and being in the presence of God kind of sounds consistent. But he says, but you're not supposed to be there too soon. So whoever does that, I don't want somebody to go out and kill him. You've got to either throw rocks or shoot him with an arrow because you're not allowed to go on the mountain to, to kill one who's coming on the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Now, some of you who are very sensitive about gender equality and all that, he's not picking on you. He's not saying you're not supposed to go near because there's something wrong with women. Because we have a number of children, I can't be as specific. But there is a reason that when men do things that they do with women, they become unclean. It has nothing to do with the woman. All right. So if you need more than that little hint, talk to me after the service. And I'll tell you a little more concretely. So he's not picking on the women. He's picking on everybody. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. The Lord visited Sinai. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. Now I'm going to take a little aside here and say this. Everybody keeps looking for Mount Sinai and the one reason that they think that where they found Mount Sinai to be Mount Sinai is because they think it's kind of like a volcano and it kind of burnt. It's not the mountain that burned. It was God's presence. It's not a volcano. It's the presence of God being holy and who God is. It's not smoke because of a volcano. It's smoke because God is clouding his presence, showing his glory in the way he's done all the last, basically, almost three months. So now it was all in smoke and he descended upon it. Verse 19, when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. God's having another brief conversation with Moses. In this instance, if you will, he usually talks to Moses face to face. The thunder in this case Tells him he's ready to come to talk. Again, it's interesting that when we come to meet God, it can be a scary thing. Because he's holy and we're not. He's righteous and we're not. He's faithful and we're not. So when you come into that great a magnitude of holiness versus who we are, even after we've taken a bath, kind of says, mm, I don't know. 
But notice who extended the invitation. It wasn't Israel who said, you know, I'd like to meet you, God. It was God saying, I want you to meet me. I want you to hear me. So that not only do you believe me, you believe all the words that I have said to Moses. This is an opportunity for you no longer to just have faith, but knowledge. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. The Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. Moses went up. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down, warn the people that they do not break through to the Lord to gaze and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves or else the Lord will break out against them. Now, if you read the commentaries, they're very confused because you see the priests, the Levitical priesthood is not established till later. Well, guess what? Being a pastor or priest may not be the oldest profession, but it, it was before the law. There were always people who represented God to the people. There was Melchizedek. There was Jethro. There are other people who are priests. These aren't Levitical priests. These are priests who either felt by God to be called as priests up until the law was given or whatever. But they're the ones who acted as pastors and priests to the people. So he's telling them, just because you think you're close to God, you don't get a free pass. You're with everybody else. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to the mountain for you warned us saying, set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. I find this to be a humorous answer. And you go, why? Because Moses has been dealing with these people for almost 60 days. He ought to know they never pay attention. They're good Baptists. And they especially don't pay attention to the leader. How do I know this? Because nobody ever hears the announcements I make. And if you don't hear the announcements I make, I'm not too sure you hear about the word of God. So Moses, I think, is being way too optimistic. Just because they put caution tape doesn't mean that they're not going to do what God doesn't want them to do. Then the Lord said to him, go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord or he will break forth upon him. He's saying, I've invited you, but you're not to come until I've told you exactly when. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Now there's a break and I'm going to have a break in the scriptures. Immediately after this conversation, the Lord gives us what we call the Ten Commandments. But I want to skip that because I think that message is more than a message. It's several messages. So I want to go and jump a few uh, a, a chapter, a half a chapter ahead because I want to see where this all happens. In the giving of the Ten Commandments, you'll have some people who believe that the people hear God speak. You'll have others say, no, no, God, they didn't hear God speak and they're not sure. But I want to skip, so we're, don't worry, we're going to go back to the Ten Commandments starting next week. But in Exodus chapter 20, I want to see what the people's response. you got God saying, I'm going to come meet with you. You're going to hear me speak. 
You're going to see my holiness, but you're going to come when I tell you to come. And there's a smoke and there's a fire and the earth is shaking. And so in Exodus 20, verse 18, it says this. All the people perceive the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. That's why I'm convinced they're Baptists. They always stand at a distance from God. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourselves and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. He didn't say that. He said, I want you to come, consecrate yourselves, come, and we're going to have a conversation so that you will no longer need faith. You will know because you have heard me. But they're content saying, no, no, no. God's too scary. The earth is shaking. There's fire and smoke. There's all the trumpet blasts. We're afraid. So you go instead. Unfortunately, it's not kind of unlike today. How many times have you heard people jokingly say, well, I'd go to church except the roof would fall in? Because they're so convinced that God won't be pleased that they show up. Because God is holy and they know they're not. It's always fine to let God be at a distance. Unfortunately, even those of us who claim to be believers seem to be content with a little bit of his presence. Well, we say the sinner's prayer and we have the spirit in our lives and we kind of do a few things and we kind of semi look Christian, whatever that is. But we're afraid to be in his presence because in that fear, we're afraid we're going to have to give up something. We have to give up the things we want, the things we like, the things that we think makes our lives fun or interesting. That fear that God will make our lives boring. And the sad thing is, it's the exact opposite. God provides for us joy and hope and love and acceptance. And when we mess up, when we sin, even intentionally, he tells us nothing can separate us from his love. But yet we're still fearful. So what does God do? Well, let me finish this. Let me. So Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. God wants you to be there so that you know, so that you don't have to worry, so you know who he is. You've been in his presence and that knowledge will keep you from sin. And in response, verse 21, so the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. To me, one of the saddest verses in scripture. Moses, you go be with God you be in his presence. You speak to him face to face. You hear his voice. You hear his law. It's good enough for me to stand here. 
What a tragedy. God invited them to have that relationship, but they were afraid. So what does God do now to you and I? He doesn't ask us to come to a holy mountain. He sent his son. Oh, he's scary. He loves everybody. He died for you. They come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's really scary. But yet, even when God has shown his love by the sacrifice of his son, people are still content to stand at a distance. The Hebrew writer understands this. And in Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 18, he says this, For you have not come to a mountain that, cannot, that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, even if a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, and to the general assembly, and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect." and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. This God who is holy, this God who is awesome, this God who is a consuming fire, this God who can be intimidating, to say the least, is the same God who sent his son as a man who, as the scriptures say, he had nothing that we would take account of him as far as his stature, as far as his demeanor. But because the spirit of the Lord was on him, because he was the son of God, because he loved like no one ever loved. And people experienced the love like no one had ever loved. They gravitated to him. They wanted to be in his presence. They worshiped him. They used perfume and all sorts of costly things to demonstrate their love and adoration to him. And yet, in the church, we still want to stand at a distance. And I know and I joke, and I'm not going to change it, and I'm not trying to because I know if next week you remember this message, two or three of you might sit in the first couple of rows for next week. And then the following week, you'll go back to the ordinary thing. But I'm not talking about where you sit in church. What I'm talking about is, are you content as a believer in Jesus to stand at a distance? Is it good enough to come on a Sunday morning, sing a few praise songs, hear a message that you may or may not remember for however long you may or may not remember it. And if you're super spiritual, you come to prayer meeting on 
prayer meeting days and you go to a Bible study here and there. But are you really content being at a distance? Are you content not being as the scriptures tell us that it lives within us, that his strength is our strength? Are you content just living a life at a distance or one that is 100% in the presence of God? When God speaks, you know it because you've heard his voice before. You don't have to wonder, well, is this of the Lord or not? Because you've heard him speak and you know that God is consistent. He doesn't say one thing to one people and something else to a different people. He doesn't love some people and then not. He shows who he is. One of the most famous scriptures for God so loved, not the Jew, not the Greek, not the Americans, but God so loved the world, everyone, that he gave Jesus, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life, so that we might be in his presence for eternity. As a younger man, I thought heaven sounded boring because the people who described it made it sound boring. To be honest, hell was not a place I wanted to be. The fire, the worms, the smoke. Didn't want any part of that. But an eternity of going, I don't play an instrument anyway. But as I got to know God more, and I got to appreciate a little more his love and his presence, I soon discovered hell was not so scary because of the heat and the fire and the worms. It was that there was no hope because he wasn't there. And the awesome thing about heaven, I don't care about the streets of gold. I don't care about whatever. Being with him. The one who loved me so much that he knew me before he ever created me. That he knows me so well now, he knows the hairs on my head and they're falling out so it's easier for him to remember. He knows how many pounds I weigh and he keeps having to add those every day. So I got to go on a diet. But he knows me intimately. And here's the thing. We are so afraid to tell each other things because we're afraid if I'm as honest with you as that I could be, you may not love me. You may want to stay away from me. So we pretend to be people that we're not. But God knows you exactly for who you are. He knows not only what you do, he knows what you thought about it. And he loves you anyway. So people talking to me, I'm pointing one finger here and pointing three fingers back. People, let's stop standing at a distance. And if nothing else, get on our knees up close. Because that's what he wants. Everybody wants to know what the will of God is. The will of God is for you to come in close contact with him. Not just today, 
not just tomorrow, but for the rest of your life and eternity too.